Today's episode of the Planet Microcap podcast is brought to you by Weinberg & Company, a CPA firm serving the audit and compliance needs of micro and small cap companies. Their technical excellence is validated by a long and stellar PCAOB record. Clients benefit from reasonable fees, reflecting their belief that your capital is best deployed for growth, not for runaway accounting costs. Weinberg & Company, an audited legacy of quality. To learn more, call Corey Fisher at 310-601-2200. That's 310-601-2200. Or visit www.weinbergla.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Craft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And you're listening to episode 144. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. We are about three weeks away from our next virtual event, the SNN Network Australia virtual event. Uh, be sure to join us at our upcoming show. Uh, the full agenda is actually coming shortly. The event is going to be on November 9th, 2020, U.S. Pacific time and 10th Australian East Coast time. And for more information, please visit australia.snn.network and click register now. I look forward to seeing you there. We have a great week of shows for you on the SNN Podcast Network. First up on Avoiding the Crowd with Maj Don. we thought it was important to highlight what makes investing in microcaps an incredible opportunity and how shows like this, like Avoiding the Crowd, can help in that pursuit and Planet Microcap for that matter. Um, Maj and his team at Geo Investing's focus is to uncover the best undiscovered investments in the microcap space. And our goal in this episode is to make clear Maj's criteria for finding tier one quality microcap stocks. So check it out on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts or on Podbean at avoidingthecrowd.podbean.com. On In the Market Trenches with Gary Reeby and Eric Fure, uh, they will be sharing with you another incredible war story with many lessons to be learned. And if you'd like to share your war story on In the Market Trenches, shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com or shoot me a direct message on Twitter at Bobby K. Craft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. We'd love to hear all those stories out there. And really, we want to learn from you. We want to hear your the lessons you learned and hopefully share that with others so that they don't make similar mistakes and or they make those similar choices. Uh, because those uh, that story might have worked out for you. Um, so you can listen to this next episode on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or Podbean at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com. And starting this week, I'll be adding the Investors Roundtable audio-only version 
to the Planet Microcap podcast stream. So I've recorded 16 episodes so far. My plan is to publish two of the past episodes each week to get us caught up. Then from there, each new episode will be available on Friday morning. So now I can say either subscribe to the SNN Network YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash SNNWire or to the Planet Microcap podcast stream or wherever uh, podcasts are available to listen to every episode of the Investors Roundtable. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Joe Mazumdar. He is the editor, analyst, and publisher at Exploration Insights. You may recognize the name of the publication as I've interviewed Joe's partner, Brent Cook, many times, uh, as well as Joe. And, and it was time to learn more about Joe's background and investing philosophy. For those not familiar with Exploration Insights, veteran economic geologist and equity analyst Joe Mazumdar and Brent Cook offer the sophisticated speculator a strictly independent, unbiased, and technical analysis of the junior mining and exploration sector. Their sole purpose is helping their subscribers profit from their investments. Turning rocks into money is their motto, and that's our goal today. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 144 of the Planet Microcap podcast. And please enjoy my interview with Joe Mazumdar. Welcome back, everybody, to the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. And joining me today is a gentleman where th this has been an interview a long time coming. I, I've, I've interviewed his colleague many, many times on here, Brent Cook. And it's about time that, uh, you know, uh, we had this person on to do a full form interview, his background, the whole deal. So with that, I'd like to introduce Joe Mazumdar. He is the editor, analyst, and publisher at Exploration Insights. Joe, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Thanks a lot, Robert. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. So um, let's dig right in. You know, I, I, pardon the pun, of course. I, I, I try not to use that same pun for every time I do an interview with somebody who's in the mining industry, but I really can't help myself. It's almost like a natural instinct now. So uh, I do apologize for anyone listening for hearing the same pun over and over again. But Let's dig right in. I've only heard it once, so I'm okay. This is true. This is true. You only heard it once. So, so Joe, let, let, let's start with your background. You know, where, where did your passion for geology and investing begin? On the geology side, it started in my undergrad uh, at the University of Alberta. Uh, it was when my first year undergrad geology, I had a uh, professor who's since passed away, uh, but a really you know, he, he worked in the industry as well as teaching at the U of A. So he used to come back from all these exotic places and looking for minerals and that, and he'd miss a lot of classes. But, you know, he'd talk about getting spears thrown at him in a helicopter and stuff like that. And I thought, whoa, that's pretty cool. So that's how I got involved originally. Not all the best reasons, but I don't know. And, um, then, uh, then I, you know, I just used it as a way to travel. And so I just traveled a lot doing geology and uh, it took me to Australia. Uh, and I, you know, after working a little bit in British Columbia and the Arctic, most of my experience actually is in, in Australia and in uh, South America. Uh, and I did one of my masters in, uh, in North Queensland. And then I moved 
uh, after working in Australia for about four years to, um, to Argentina. And I worked there, Argentina, Chile, Ecuador, and uh, Peru for about um, another eight years. And then uh, we moved to the States. And then I did my last master's in mineral economics at the Colorado School of Mines. And then I totally changed, you know, perspective from being, you know, a, uh, a geologist, a field geologist and project geologist, that sort of thing to, uh, uh, to working in economics. And uh, I actually traded copper and, um, and worked as a market analyst for Phelps Dodge down in uh, Phoenix. And then I worked in corporate development and finance in, uh, for Newmont. And when I became an equity analyst, uh, I moved up to Vancouver and then I did that for about six years. And then as you know, you know, I took over uh, Exploration Insights over the last several years uh, from, from Brent Cook and have been running that me and my wife for the last four or five years. Yeah. Very cool. So I got to ask, well, while you were doing your work as a field geologist, you know, what, what would you say was some of the most exciting, you know, just minds that you, that you saw, you know, what, were you around for any kind of big discoveries that you're just like, this is, this is why I'm doing this. This is, this, this is, this is the awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate, but I was never around for any big discoveries. I was never involved in any of those. I worked for a lot of big companies, uh, drilling, you know, in Australia, I did work at a mine, uh, in uh, in Queensland called Tick Hill, and this was uh, this was a mine that was about a half a million tons or so of ore, but it graded about uh, fifteen grams, and so you would have these spectacular gold, uh, like um, uh, you know, just nuggety gold, really nuggety gold, splattered all over this one structural myelinite zone, and I had one of my professors look at the open pit at one point. And uh, he was looking at it, and he was not an industry guy, but he was looking at it going, Jesus, there's a lot of pyrite here. And I said, there's no pyrite here. <laughs> so so that, that was an instance of uh, fool's pyrite there, and it was, just, it was just gold everywhere. And so that was actually discovered with a stream sediment sample because there was only a little bit of the actual deposit that outcropped. And so that was found with the stream sediment sample then they found this deposit and what was interesting on the economic side is mount isa mines which i worked for at that point in the mid 90s or the early 90s was all base metals and still you know continued to be and then was bought by extrata and this gold mine kept them in the black this small little high margin gold mine basically erased a lot of their losses from base metals in the early 90s. And so, you know, economics matters. And, uh, you know, uh, when you find something, you know, the, the important thing, uh, can you actually do anything with it? Can you actually convert this mineralization that you see, this anomaly into something that's economic? And that takes a lot of work. And that's, that's the part I find most exciting, not just the geology part, uh, but also the, the added on about how do you convert this into something that can actually make money. I mean, so Joe, would you say that your, your work when you're trying to understand whether a project was economic, would you say that was the biggest takeaway for you as a field geologist and transitioning as an analyst looking at these types of companies? 
Yes. So when I used to work as a field geologist, you know, you'd be spending money and time looking in the field, but then you'd have to wonder, well, is this actually going to ever be economic? You know what I'm doing, you know, and, and then you start wondering how does, you know, what you're doing actually translate potentially into something that could actually be something the company would actually want. And what were all the machinations between you looking in the field for something and, it actually becoming something economic for the for the company, and that's really what started interesting me, um, uh, you know, about actual geology and economic deposits, um, you know. And uh, after uh, after we left South America, I mean, that's that's why I went into economics more than anything. Gotcha. So you know, look, it only makes perfect sense that you would come in and, and uh, start working with Exploration Insights, eventually taking it over. Uh, because, you know, look, it, it combines your love of being an analyst and travel. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I remember talking to Brent. He's, he's traveling more than anybody I know. So I'm yeah. sure it's, you know, so, so let take me to that moment in time where, you know, you're now at that point in your career where this opportunity came up, you know, how, how did this all, how did this all come about really? Well, I mean, I worked as an equity analyst for six years. You know, I, I, I got a lot of experience out of it. You know, it, it's, it's a really hard job, and I have a lot of uh, respect for the people that do it because it's not an easy job, uh, and you work, you work almost harder in a bear market than you do in a bull market. Uh, so it, 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 it's, it's a very high-stress job, and it was good to do, get that experience, but I couldn't do it for much longer than I did it for. But I mean, there's there's traps in the equity, uh, you know, the brokerage industry about you know what you can say, what you can't say, and who your actual client is. You know, is it the company you're writing for, which is not supposed to be, or the person you're selling the shares to, which is what you're called as the sell side. But most of the money tends to be made from the companies because they're you know, providing investment banking and, and uh, you know, fees uh, to, to your brokerage firm. Um, and so it's, it's hard to write anything, um, you know, sort of uh, bad. So, um, so, you know, that's why, you know, 97% of the recommendations are buys or holds and there's hardly any sells, you know, so, so that, you know, uh, was a part I didn't like. So I liked what I did. I didn't necessarily like who I did it for. So I'd like to keep doing what I like to do, but have that independent, unbiased, you know, and, and more technical view. And, and hence, that's, you know, the mission statement that I brought into uh, Exploration Insight. So if it doesn't fit to that wheelhouse, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, no, one, one of the reasons why not only that, that we, we love talking to you and Brent covering the junior mining industry is because with your newsletter, you guys talk about just what you like, what you don't like, you know, and you're not getting paid by the companies, you know, this is a purely subscriber model. And that's something that's, you know, important to us when it comes to, you know, talking with people that, you know, not only know what they're talking about, but they have that philosophy in mind when they're looking at their potential investments or the companies that they own or or don't own, you know, that's, um, that, that's really important philosophy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's longevity more than anything. Uh, you know, it's just the way I work right. uh, if, to do all the, the things some people do to make a buck. It, it can get complicated. And I'm one, I'm not that smart and one, I'm not, you know, I'm a little bit lazy with respect to that, but I mean, I like to keep it simple and work within my means and I'm not, 
interesting in blowing up the subscription base and having three or four times as many people uh, subscribe. Uh, I'd like a more consistent base of people that enjoys the product that I deliver, you know, and I'm not going to really change what I do. I mean, Joe, look, if this thing goes viral and you end up getting more subs, it's, uh, I, I can't, I, I'm sorry, you know, it is, it is what it is at that point. Yeah, I'm canceling them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it's uh, like now, now that we've had, you know, um, you know, the big push in precious metals and other metals as well since middle of March and that uh, we've seen, you know, an increase in subscribers and things like that. But uh, what's nice uh, also about our subscriber base is I've managed to get a lot. What, what my my goal was to get more people involved in the industry to sign up. People like you know high net worth that really like the mining industry to invest. To get them, to get people that are involved in the industry, like the VPXs of major mining companies, we get that. We get the CEOs of the junior companies. We get institutional equity. I get private equity, and then and then it's diverse with respect to uh, you know jurisdictions. So it's not only the U.S. It's Canada, a lot in Europe. Uh, and now I'm starting to see a lot more from uh, Asia Pacific as well. So we have a very diverse sort of uh, base of people, which makes it uh, makes writing for them a little bit more difficult than even when I was an equity analyst or I wrote for the board or or uh, for meetings with you know big companies like Newmont or, or Phelps Dodge. You know, it, it's, it's a different kind of nuanced writing that you have to be able to explain yourself very well. Fair enough. I'm, 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 I'm sure. I do not envy your job. I, I'm, I'm a terrible writer, but uh, that, you know, you're, you're making it work. But here, let's. Here, so the main reason I want to, I want to shift gears now to your investing philosophy and your strategy and whatnot, because the main reason I want to have you on right now is that this year, as you said, you know, we've seen a run in precious metals, commodities, you know, especially gold and silver in the last six, seven months. Well, a little bit longer than that, if you want to really, you know move it out the time frame. And so the the thing that I wanted to cover today was to give give my audience an understanding of, you know, your investing philosophy and strategy when looking at the junior resource sector because I, I think an argument could be made that the juniors are still lagging quite a bit from from where the majors are are or their some of the performances of their shares have been in the last six months or so. You know, so with that, you know, and, and correct me if anything I just said was wrong, please, you know, because you are the expert, um, not me. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, with, uh, you know, in terms of the investment, let's let's go back, you know. So uh, at the beginning of the year, I come up with, okay, here's the, the central themes that we're following, you know. Hey, it's precious metals, it's gold, it's... Uh, it's uh, you know negative interest, real interest rates. It's expansive monetary policy. Uh, these sort of things are the foundations to invest in gold. Okay, and here's what I'm doing in gold. I'm going to run the gamut between exploration to production. Um, jurisdictionally, I'm going to focus here. You know, and out of all the list of companies I looked at, here's the ones I'm interested in. Those are the ones I own. Maybe I'm going to add some more. And then you look at some other thematics. And the other thematic I had pre-COVID was, uh, uh, you know, greenhouse gas emissions. Okay, lowering greenhouse gas emissions. So it's not only battery metals. It's other metals that have any impact on that. So, so I was, you know, love copper, nickel, palladium. I did a bit of lithium. Uh, so 
uh, that was another thematic. And so, um, you know, so then, you know, what stage do you want? Do you want production? And most of what I'm looking there is more exploration, a development play every now and then, especially in the copper industry, because I see a shortfall in copper like three to four years from now. And so I want something that's advanced that potentially fit that bill and could get taken out. So that's, you know, uh, something that I, uh, you know, I was looking for. And, and uh, yeah, so you got to build that sort of thesis out. And what's nice about the letter that I don't do in my own PA is, is basically explain every time the news comes out or what's happening with the share price that, okay, why do I still own this? You know, should I buy more? Uh, should I reduce? Or should I just sell it? And so that's a constant question that I have to ask myself, and it's based on the news that comes in or what's happening. And what's nice about the subscribers I have is, uh, you know, they've got a lot of experience as well, and they ask questions, and they're really good questions that make me think. And responding to their question adds a lot of value to the letter. Well, this, this actually comes to your, your overall investing philosophy that I really wanted to get a better understanding of. You know, I mean... I've had on here everywhere from growth investors, value investors, short sellers, you know, there's so many different strategies and ideas and way in which have worked for so many different people. So when you're evaluating the junior mining, a junior mining company, you know, do you go in with each new potential investment saying, you know, I'm looking, I'm going to look at the two to three year time horizon, for instance, or five year, or, you know, or am I looking at it just right now in this moment? Is this a good opportunity? You know, like what, what's your kind of your philosophy when you're going into each new idea that's presented your way? Well, I mean, I've had, I've had investments where I would introduce the investment as a short term trade. So I'm thinking, okay, here's what gold usually does in this kind of, you know, period of the market. Here's a bunch of, you know, producers. Here's the ones that have the highest beta. So I'm going to invest in two or three of those and call it a basket and just leave it. And my idea is to sell it before PDAC. You know, I could come up with a thematic like that. You know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But most of my investments are, I, 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 you know, are longer term, especially the expiration one. So if I like an expiration team, I like what they're doing, I'll have to be patient. You know, you know, but if they're drilling and they don't come up with anything or they're not drilling where I think they should be drilling or the news flow is not very good, it's not consistent, I can't see how, you know, it makes sense anymore compared to what I thought, then I'm selling. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be, um, um, you know, very patient. But uh, if, if it's about, oh, like, like COVID right now, because... Um, uh, the assay labs are less productive because there's less people working in the labs. And now with the whole financing we've seen into the junior market, a lot of these people are obviously spending on drilling, thankfully. And so, uh, so now what we're seeing is a flood on the, uh, on the labs with uh, drilling, sampling results. And so normally something like a two to four week assay turnaround has become almost four to eight. So that requires a bit of patience on your side. Uh, but then, you know, when you're talking about investment philosophy, there's short-term and long-term implications to what's going on. And, you know, because of these financings, you know, there's, there's a risk that we might see some of these companies that are coming off their four-month hold that have done well, uh, 
they might get sold down, um, especially if we have a volatile equity market and people, you know, need the cash or, you know, want to, you know, want um, the, the, the single things that they've had actually big wins on this year um, uh, and they need that money, you know, so that might be an issue in the latter part of this year, you know, the only thing, and and, and that it's important when you're looking like, I was just at the Precious Metal Summit, not just at there because everything's virtual. Uh, I had about 40 meetings. And one thing that was, you know, dominated theme is that everybody had money. There was hardly yep. uh, nobody there asking for money or talking about financing. It was all past tense. They were yep. I had really good working capital positions. It was all about, okay, what am I doing with that money? Which is, you know, a lot different from the last, you know, probably eight years. So now, uh, you know, having money in this industry as in, you know, even a junior non-cash flowing is, is, not a, is not a distinguishing feature. Everybody has it. So the question is, what makes you different? You know, why, you know, it wasn't before like, oh, you got money, nobody else did, so you must be good. Everybody's got money. Now, what's the, what's the next level of distinguishing you, the, you know, the wheat from the chafe right now? And, uh, well, you know, one way of doing it is looking at how they got financed, you know, uh, like a Canadian based company with a Canadian asset, you know, do, do they need to do flow through? Do they need, uh, does a company need to issue warrants? Do they need to issue five year warrants, full warrants, you know, that sort of thing? Or are they two year 50% warrants, you know, or 30%, you know, that sort of thing. So you can look and gauge the quality of the financing to know the quality of the people that bought in quality, meaning are they strong holders of the stock right. for the people and for the asset, or are they just weak hands that as soon as that four month hold comes off, they'll take the money and run, you know? Yeah. No, here, let's, let's keep going down this path. Cause I actually, I, we were the media sponsor for precious metals and I did a hundred video interviews with CEOs. And I, I will echo exactly what you just said that, you know, you know, cause I asked almost, I asked every single one, you know, what, what makes you different and unique compared to your peers out there, you know? And I mean, the, the, I think the two most consistent things I heard were, were cashed up and either Rick rule or Sprott is a, is a shareholder, <laughs> you know? So even, even after hearing that, you know, 10, 15, 20 times, I'm like, all right, well, is that really dis- yeah. Has brought invested in every one of these companies, and you look. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's not much of a distinguishing feature either. Uh, so, um, you know, so for me, with the juniors, you know, with the ones that are exploring, and it's a discovery, and less of a you know gold going to the moon that's going to make this thing actually go. You know, the management team is the most important part because they're the controllers of the capital structure which I've been burned on before, uh, you know, they're, they're keepers of how the board is structured and do they add any value? They're keepers of how they spend the GNA. Uh, they're keepers of, you know, which targets they're drilling and how they're drilling and how they organize their plants. And so uh, if you invest in one that looks cheap, uh, but maybe cheap for a reason, uh, you might not get, you may get that leverage, but when the four month goes to hold, they might not have anything supporting that. Right. You know, so for me, you know, I might miss out on some of the five baggers, but if I can find a reliable three bagger uh, consistently, uh, I, I would rather that, um, you know, and, and so management for me right now is, 
has always been sort of key. And so when I do see a new deal or something coming up, a new company, I really take a hard look at the people because I've been burned by other people's, you know, uh, share structures that have been hidden. Uh, when when we see a reverse takeover or a new IPO that's coming out on a shelf. So that sort of stuff, uh, you know, the asset could be good. Uh, but, you know, given that we're talking about 900 odd companies that are listed uh, on the TSX venture that are mining related, the most important thing is to get to know quickly because you can't do the kind of due diligence that you probably need to do between the management, the asset, all that other stuff, you know, for every one of these companies. So you got to go look at it and go, oh, yeah, no, forget it, not that, you know, or, yeah. and you, you diversify by saying, okay, I'm only looking for this commodity or only in this jurisdiction, or, you know, then you get to, I don't want to deal with these people. And then once you start dealing with those people, then you could narrow it down quite a bit. Yeah. You know, I, I, I have two paths I want to go on right now, but just to finish up this topic of management, you know, right now, you know, I remember talking with Brent and I think even with you was, um, you know, back when it was a bit of a bear market and you're saying, okay, what are the things to look out for with management? And you're, you know, back then we were saying like managing their GNA, making sure they're cashed up, you know, not, you know, make just really making sure they're managing through for times like these. So now we're in times like these where, you know, we're in a bit of a bull market. We're seeing commodity prices rise and whatnot, you know, and all these good amount of these junior mining companies are cashed up. What are some red flags that investors should look out for uh, from management teams that have this cash position? You know, you hear all them saying, we're going for it more or less, you know, we're gonna go for that bonanza discovery right now because we have the cash. You know, so what, what are some of the red flags then that you look for when you're like, okay, you know, this is interesting and as you're hearing some of the stories. Yeah, I, I, you know, when I look at it, I, I, I try to look at, you know, what is the asset that they're drilling and what are they thinking and what do I see might happen there? You know, is it, you know, infrastructurally challenged? Are they looking for something that might be sulfide but refractory and then there's no infrastructure there? So basic sort of things that I can see in the asset. But if, if I ignore the asset and I'm just looking at the people, then I look at their backgrounds to see if they've actually added any value you know, ever. Uh, so they, you know, a lot of these guys, they'll say, oh, you know, I raised X amount of hundreds of millions of dollars, but they never say, well, whatever happened to that money? Um, so for me is, is like, I, I need a management team that has a comparative advantage in what they're trying to do. So if, if it's sort of like, oh, you know, I know open pit heat bleach, but great, you don't know it any better than all these other guys. Um, you know, somebody else is, you know, about put one into production and I've worked blah, 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 blah. And I said, okay, that, that might be better. Because an open pit heat bleach, even though it sounds simple, I've seen a lot of people bang their head on something that simple. So um, that kind of understanding and uh, what you're looking at, uh, how big does it need to be? You know, I, I like to understand what the game plan is and to see if what they're doing aligns with that game plan. And then overall, am I convinced that that's, um, you know, a, a value add proposition, their game plan. Otherwise, it's just spinning wheels and, and I don't want any part of that. And, and so, Joe, another theme that was coming up quite a bit in, in some of these CEO interviews that I was doing is that uh, they're now near term producers. You know, I, I, I kind of I've been interviewing junior mining CEOs and executives since uh, 
2011. And I always heard ever since then that, uh, you know, building a mine from exploration to then production takes a long time, you know, very similar to like biotechs when, uh, you know, they're looking to take a drug from, you know, phase one clinical trial to, you know, all the way to being approved by the FDA. So, you know, now all of a sudden to hear that, you know, a company that was an exploration company, you know, a year ago, or, you know, just starting to find something to now they're a near term producer, you know, what, what, what's your take on this? Um, it, you know, again, it depends on, uh, you know, their history, whether they can or they have ever done it. And so, uh, you know, taking somebody like Silvercrest, you know, their you know, managing director, CEO, uh, uh, Eric Ferry, he's done it before. Uh, in his previous life, but then also did it in a junior company with the uh, with the other Silvercrest, uh, you know, with Santa Elena. Now he's doing it with La Chispa. So you can buy that when he says, yeah, I'm going to take this into production, you know, because he's done it before. But somebody else who's trying to take a scoping study, you know, on a complicated metallurgical deposit, you know, and they've just gone from base metals and now they're going into PGEs or something like that. It's harder for me to convince myself that that's going to work. Um, but also saying that uh, I found that uh, companies registered on the ASX seem to do a better job of transitioning from, from exploration to production consistently, more consistently, let's say, than, than TSX-listed companies because most of the TSX-listed companies' management teams are like monolithic in terms of I do exploration, I do development, I do production. They don't have, and they don't transition very well from exploration to development or development to production. Um, like take, for example, ASX-listed Gold Road Resources, as GOR on the ASX. I mean. Um, unheard of they went from discovery of a uh, you know underexplored greenstone belt in western australia infrastructurally challenged uh, to production in five years and and that's very unheard of but they managed to transition very well they brought in different management different board to help them uh, you know make that transition uh, and now they're producing you know uh, so i find that uh, harder uh, I haven't seen that done very well in uh, in, in uh, a TSX listed company. Uh, you know, uh, I, right. haven't seen, uh, I haven't seen that done very well there. Right. And real quick, are you still uh, currently a shareholder in either Gold Road or Silvercrest? No, never been Silvercrest, unfortunately. But I did uh, with Gold Road. I bought and sold that one. All right. So let me ask you point blank for. For those who may who are looking at the junior resource sector as a way to get exposure to gold, silver, some of these commodities, you know what what's the number one thing that they should be looking at right now? Well, I mean, the thing is that uh, you're always looking for the three five bagger, and and the problem with that is that's the risk reward ratio, you know, because if you want that kind of return, you could also go potentially to zero. Uh, that's the risk you take, uh, hence the high volatility. And so to wheat from chaff, you'd have to look at management. But the problem is with a lot of new people coming in, they might not know management or know what to look for. And so somebody who can talk, you know, let's say a good book, might convince some poor retail person that, oh yeah, I, I know what I'm doing, I've done this before, blah, blah, blah. 
and but somebody else would say yeah they did this but it was a complete disaster and this is what had happened uh, but they wouldn't have that history and so dig up what you can on the management teams in terms of um, not only what their history is with respect to what they have done you know you know how much shares they do own of the company and at what cost because a lot of people say oh i own 10 percent," but jesus you only paid 20 grand for that you know, so uh, that's important. Um, and so you know if they've got skin in the game and they actually have some value to add you know, to this project going forward. And how have they structured the company in terms of shares? Uh, who owns them? Uh, you know, so you can have a really good asset, then, but as an equity holder, and that's your only option, you can't buy the royalty, you can't hold the debt, you know, or the stream. And so you're looking at, well, it's only equity I have, so, so the equity has to move, but if the share structure is complicated, even if the asset, you know, starts getting some really good drill results, I might not make any money, you know? So, I mean, holistically, Joe, when I, cause I'm trying to, I'm, I'm thinking about your philosophy again and, and how you're evaluating the space, you know, it, it's, it from, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like you're, you're very active at seeing what some of these macro trends are on really a daily basis and, and trying to see if, all right, well, this is interesting that's happening. Let's see if this trend comes to fruition. And while I'm doing that, let me just see what companies are kind of matching that trend right now. And then as soon as that really starts to take off, I know which companies then make the most sense to meet that trend. Like, am I, am I kind of hitting the right track there? Well, let's take something that's just happened. Like we've had COVID, you know, and COVID's had impacts all over the place. It's had impacts on demand. And so we saw that crash in demand for all commodities, including precious metals. But just like the financial crisis, the first ones to rebound were precious metals, gold came back. But as China came back online, we saw base metals rebounding and things like that. Uh, but the situation is that we've had an issue not only with the demand side, but we've had an issue with the supply side. So we've had production you know, drops in a lot of Latin American countries because when COVID came over there, they've been, a, you know, basically the worst hit with their lockdowns and that. And so when I'm looking at investing in a company now, then I wonder about their exposure to these places that are COVID hotspots, because then I'm thinking, well, even though you might be able to raise money, can you actually do any work, you know, over the next six to 12 months? And I'm thinking, if I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to hold this stock for five months, maybe it doesn't matter, but maybe it does matter because timing wise, you know, I might be able to buy it later for cheaper, right? You know, uh, so, so, so I have layered that on with respect to what I'm investing in going forward. So if I see something that's totally exposed to someplace that might be a COVID hotspot, I back away because I think, I well, I, I might be able to get it cheaper later. So, so there might be this overarching theme about precious metals and overarching theme about greenhouse gas emissions and metals that, you know, help me there. But then in the, near term what's going on such that you know i might buy something that might be dead money for six months right so my favorite question to ask every guest that i have on here joe yeah. what would you say is an investing experience that impacted you the most in your career and maybe what were some of the lessons that you learned from that experience oh i mean uh the one that really uh you know blew me away i mean and, and this is important because people a lot of people think okay you know i, I want this warrant i want this i want this and it's going to look like this the problem with thinking like that is when you do get that five-year warrant which looks like a killer the problem is that, that company had to issue that five-year warrant to get the money 
So then you question how good is the asset or how good is the management team? So when I look at financing, you know, the ones with no warrants, I'm almost more interested in, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, for the letter. And a lot of it, I don't do the private placement. I'll just buy it in the market because then I don't have the, the handcuffs of the four-month hold. And a lot of the U.S. subscribers have plus four months to, to hold it because of that legend certificate that they have to get rid of. So, so um, you know, one of the, you know, a really good return uh, when I joined, uh, when I started buying um, shares on, with, with, with uh, um, Exploration Insights was, um, was <laughs> Ivanhoe. So Ivanhoe is, you know, this great deposit in the DRC. And when I looked at it, the cash they had, the joint venture they had put together, at that point it was trading at 60 cents. And I thought just with what it has, it's worth more than 60 cents with, and I don't need anything else. So I was just thinking maybe I get a safe double. Okay. I made eight times my money on that. Why? Because it was expiration because Kamoa was a great deposit, but then they found Kakula, which is an even better deposit. So while the thematic on Ivanhoe was laser focused on expiration and growing it, it went to the moon. But when it reverted a bit more to development and people started questioning the DRC, the politics and all that, then it seems to come back. So if you can get that growth, you know, that, that you know, sex appeal growth within your stock and it's not just, you know, a, a, a development story going through all the stages, which I own one of those as well, which is Bluestone Resources, BSR on the TSX you know, that's going through all the stages of development, uh, but it's sort of boring right now because they're infill drilling in that, but they're not drilling, you know, uh, to add a new deposit or something like that. But that wasn't the case at Ivanhoe. They were drilling and they actually found something that was even better than what they had, you know. And, and so whatever you invest in, you know, try to find if there's some amount of that budget going in to that growth, to that expiration, that retail, which can move these stocks, really uh, impacts. Very interesting. So, I mean, for you, it sounds like, you know, you you really, you're drawn to those exploration stories. And and with the development side, it's just, you got, just got to be patient, you know, or, I mean, not yeah. not every single one, because not all of them are, are quality, but for the quality ones, when they're in that development stage, it's just being, just being that patient, patient, because once, once it then they, they're about to go to production or, or production is about to come online, I mean, it's a similar catalyst to when they, they make a discovery. Right. I mean, but also you got to think that, okay, what, you know, especially with base metals, you got to think, well, okay, what's the supply demand going and, you know, is this project going to fall in that window when there's not a lot of projects coming on? And then, you know, will companies re need to acquire these assets? Because if we don't know about it now, it's not going to be in production in five years. You know, so then you got to look, well, you know, what projects are out there and what juniors own them? Because mm -hmm. that's the exposure you want. You want with the junior, you're not going to get it with the major that's got all these different assets and the expiration story might be a little part of that. You want that exposure to that, to the, uh, to the, to the high risk, high value project. And in the end, as you do more due diligence as an investor, that's when you find the asymmetry in the risk reward profiles thinking that, oh, the market has got this totally wrong. This one has a lot of base value right now, and it's got, 
you know, maybe a significant upside. And if you can see that asymmetry, that's the ones, those are the ones to invest in, certainly. Very good. Well, Joe, you know, for those who are listening, who are new investors that might be looking at the junior resource sector for the first time, you know, what's, what's a key piece of advice you have for them? Uh, be very careful. Uh, um, <laughs> there's a lot of people that would want your money. Um, uh, and, and don't discount the, um, uh, you know, the, the ability to just to buy these things in the market. Um, you know, avoid the private placement. Let, let them do the private placement, get that money stoked away, and, and don't have, avoid the fear of missing out. That, oh, this one's run, okay, this is a good one, and then you find out that you just picked it right at the peak and it's only going to go down from there. So uh, then you've got to think, okay, what made that one run? You know, uh, could I find another one like that? You know, uh, and so, but maybe I can get it at this stage where I, you know, and timing is is incredibly important. Um, and and don't be over dependent on the gold price or the commodity price. Uh, be dependent on the asset quality and the management's comparative advantage in in bringing this asset to uh, to the market. You know, uh, that's what you should be uh, focused in on. Such that if the gold price goes down or this price goes down, you might buy more of this company because that asset needs to be acquired. Very good. All right, Joe. Well, we're there, man. Where, where can my audience go and find everything they need to know about you and Exploration Insights? Okay. It's pretty simple. It's explorationinsights.com. I mean, there's a lot of free stuff on the website. And if you want to subscribe, we're monthly subscriptions uh, quoted in U.S. about 160 bucks per month. And you click on the subscribe button and monthly is cancelable. Anything's cancelable at any time. Uh, but you get a good idea of what we have between the portfolio, the weekly letter, and we also have a members forum to ask questions. And Joe, um, you have a social media account too. So what's your Twitter handle? Oh, it's pretty simple there too. At uh, Joe Mazumdar, nothing complicated there. Very good. All right. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining me today. It really was a pleasure and uh, I'm stoked you agreed to do uh, our longer form interview. And uh, I have a feeling this won't be our, our last one. I, I hope to have uh, many more chats in the future to uh, discuss what's going on in the market. So stay safe. Good luck. I look forward to our next, uh, our next update. Great. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Today's episode of the Planet Microcap podcast is brought to you by Weinberg & Company a CPA firm serving the audit and compliance needs of micro and small cap companies. Their technical excellence is validated by a long and stellar PCAOB record. Clients benefit from reasonable fees, reflecting their belief that your capital is best deployed for growth, not for runaway accounting costs. Weinberg & Company, an audited legacy of quality. To learn more, call Corey Fisher at 310-601-2200. That's 310-601-2200 or visit www.weinbergla.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.